HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Hearst Ranch Grass-Fed Beef. Available on the internet at hearstranch.com. on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, back today with a hot new episode. And by hot, I mean barbecue. I mean grilling hot. It's that time of year with Adam Perry Lang. Uh, would you consider yourself a pit master? Would you consider yourself some other kind of meat maven? Uh, yeah, I'm a pit master. Yeah, yeah. What, what is the <laughs> definition of pit master? I don't know. No. I, I just, for me, um, I'm obsessed with fire, flame, woods, yeah, cooking charcoal, anything about it, and it's you know. kind of like a more macho Captain America. Well, I guess I, you know you can say master, but I mean we're perpetual students in it. You know, we're always learning. There's something you're always evolving. Yeah. I, I suppose you can say pit master because some people say, "Oh, well, you know," but in the minute that you really kind of cap yourself off, I suppose so. Yeah, but student doesn't really exactly translate well, you know, when you're yeah. selling books and you're doing <laughs> things. So, well, in the quick minute that people have heard your accent, it doesn't sound like you're a Southern pitmaster. No, either. not at all. No, where did you all. grow up? Um, Long Island. Yeah, where where? Um, well, yeah. I I started off um, in I guess you'd say Syringtown, and uh, and then after my parents got divorced, I we moved to uh, uh, Jericho. Yeah. And uh, the extent of my barbecue was um, really more grilling, which I w- we always referred to as barbecue, but then I just kind of just say, look, it's barbecue, because we called it that, so yeah. I just kind of <laughs> say it's like Yankee barbecue, and then people from the South get on top of me for it, but it's at the end of the day, it's about feeling comfortable doing what you like, and, and you know, 
I'm not going to get into a debate. It's, it's either it's good or it's not. I'll, I'll get into a debate about yeah. that. But Well, growing up, did you eat a lot of barbecue or eat a lot of grilling, whatever it was? Or? Grilling was a big yeah. part of our life, but it really was uncomplicated, and it wasn't. Re- it was just another tool, like you might have a KitchenAid in the cabinet. It wasn't until later on, after I really got into cooking, and um, I always had a gravitation towards fire in general. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> In a healthy way, though. Well, I don't know. As a kid, you know, I just... You know, I liked lighting matches, so I, I, I don't know what to say, but I, I never got into trouble for it, um, except once. Um, and uh, um, it wasn't until later on um, when I just started feeding my cooking habit, and um, I, I just realized there was a whole story um, behind uh, before turning the, uh, the oven on and the concept of building a fire harnessing it because you can't you can i suppose you can control it but no more than a horse it's still an animal so it it can at at one time or another you know kind of take off and do whatever if you if it knows you're not in control so there was something about harnessing it yeah it's almost domesticating fire yeah Yeah. to a certain extent um but it that's why like in chart and scruff which is my latest book which i'm really proud of it's damn damn you for making me so hungry on the train ride over i read this whole thing (laughs) So, and I'm gonna have to go buy a grill. Thanks. And start. Well, we're gonna talk. To, you, yeah. you have to talk about that in yeah. a minute because you know I've got some thoughts for you because yeah. uh, you know your first real real purchase is important. So I'm gonna interview you Thank for you. a moment. I'm gonna help you through it. Yeah, so. I need my handheld. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, in this chart and scruff, you know, I go into this concept of dialogue with heat, and what it really comes down to is. Um, you really have to be aware of your surroundings. I mean, I'm not trying to make it like it's, it's oh, it's so crazy. But really, you know, it, depending on the wind and the temperature and what you're cooking and how you're cooking it, it involves you and it engages you. So you kind of go into it. You have a general idea of what's happening, but it's never really quite always the same. Yeah. So, I mean, how did you harness these skills and techniques? Did you go to cooking school? Did you, you know, just go on the job and learn that way? Well, I did actually go to culinary school. I went to the CIA, um, Culinary Institute of America, which was absolutely fantastic. But it's, it's, it, you get that, but I remember being, you know, frustrated because, you know, your hands can't move as quick as your ambition. It's only through, you know, constant, repetitious, um, boring mundane routine banging it out and doing it under stressful conditions that you have to produce not like hobby stuff but like people are actually going to pay you yeah (laughs) so like if they want it at 12 o'clock you know you have to have it at 12 o'clock and when you push yourself like that you discover things about it and outside of like doing that and being distracted you actually really you know forge your craft yeah so i mean so so hobby versus you know job is creating structure you know, it, absolutely within that thing. Um, so, from cooking school, where did you apply these real life situations? You cooked at Le Cirque. You cooked yeah, at uh, you Danielle. Know, I you went, went to down. Paris. I went down to see Danielle. I remember there was a long line. Everybody's like dressed up in suits. It was funny. And Danielle had this this office, which is a closet essentially. It was it was funny. It was probably like a pantry, small pantry area. And um, I remember putting my resume down, and he. You know, I was like, look, I don't have much experience, but, you know, uh, you don't have to pay me. And I mean, he paid me from day one at the uh, after I started. But 
I, I touched a nerve in him, and um, he is, I dedicated the book Trot and Scruff to him and the kitchen and that at the, and the time at Danielle because I worked with some amazing guys like Lee, Riyadh, Alex Lee. I mean, fantastic. Uh, Ray Tang. I mean, great people. And um, and that's that's where I started. And, you know, French technique, people talk about it as some abstract. It's really exactly as you say. It's tremendous structure. And it, even just with, like, cooking barbecue, you know, as unruly as it is, there's certain things that you need to do to stay on track. Yeah. You really have to have a good mise en place, like, set up before you attempt to start doing it. Otherwise, you know, you run the risk of losing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you cook through all these amazing kitchens, French technique under your belt, eventually opening up your own place here in New York, mm-hmm. uh, Daisy Mays Barbecue. Yep. Um, obviously, there's a lot in between that we haven't talked about where you turn from a professional chef into a competitive barbecuer. Mm-hmm. Uh, how'd that happen? What, well, what was I, that fire? I actually, you know, it's it's cool because you kind of, I need to get set the record straight because everybody kind of like rolls with it in different yeah. ways. But the fact of the matter is, is that um, I had opened up Daisy Mays, which I'm the founder of. But, but at that time, to kind of saying, you know, to give credence, to like give truth to a New Yorker <laughs> <laughs> cooking barbecue... You know, it's like you always, you know, ah, you know, what do they know? And it was almost like to the level of snobbery, like that you experience with the French. Was, ah, you know, if you're not French, how could you possibly? Yeah. And it was like all over again. And um, I was working with the pork board, and there was the head of this pork council for these chefs. They had gotten one of us, like five of us at the time, and he says, "Ah, oh, you barbecue." He's like, "Chefs don't know how to cook barbecue," and I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" I mean, <laughs> okay. So I said, why do you say that? I said, well, if you competed, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't do well. You know, you wouldn't. I said, okay, well, when's the next competition? He's like, ah, you know, you come out to Barbecue Lassel, which is in, uh, in Iowa. I'm like, in Des Moines, Iowa. It's like, all right, I'll be there. And this is the thing about the barbecue community, which is the most incredible thing, which I feel very much a part of, even though I haven't competed in a long time and I miss it like you don't know, is... I was a newbie, and they rallied around. One guy let me a like a mobile trailer with air conditioning. Another person let me a pit. This guy, uh, Mike from Hog Eyes Barbecue, you got to check him out online. By yeah. the way, he's got like he is like the behind the scenes guy for like providing sauces, spice rubs, and books. I mean, huge fan of this guy. These guys, Mike and Brett, over at Hog Eyes Barbecue, and. Um, I'm not affiliated with them. They are just, I'm telling you, that they supply this stuff. So they provided me with a smoker. And I basically just brought my knives. And then I went to, uh, I think it was a Bass Pro Shop. And spent the 1000 on, like, sleeping bag and <laughs> also a table. You know, I just got some stuff together. <clears throat> and I ended up doing it. And at first, I wasn't, people were kind of looking at me, eh, whatever. And uh, the thing is, I won. You know, and I had this bet with this guy. I said, "Okay, if I win the competition, then you have to wear a hat that says, you know, I love New York." <laughs> <laughs> and he, you know, he said, uh, "If I lose, I have to wear a hat 
for a year or something that chefs can't cook barbecue. So I won, and but I ended up buying him a Stetson. So you know, <laughs> it was cool. Awesome. So that was your first foray. Like it, it was on a dare that you went down there and on my won own, a barbecue yeah. competition. Yeah. My actual first time um, experiencing barbecue competition. And this is again the community was this amazing guy Ray Lampy, known as Doctor Barbecue. Oh, I know the doctor. You know? Yeah, he's awesome, and. Um, uh, we met through them, and he invited me to come down and, and cook in my first competition with him, which I screwed up the ribs. Like he let me have the ribs, and I got too cute, you know, with it. I got too like, oh, I'm going to do this, and never do that in competition. So, um, that was the first competition that I went into. But the first one that I really competed in, as you know, Adam Barry Lang was Barbecue Colossal, which qualified me for the um, American Royale. Yeah, and we'll talk about the American Royale yeah. because that must be a scene. Um, it's amazing. But you've been a grand champion honors at the World Pork Expo. Right. And then you got first place for pork shoulder at Kansas City's American Royale. Yeah, which exactly. Is, World Series of Barbecue, they call it. What is it? I mean, what is the scene like there? It's, you know, there's like two worlds. There's the Invitational and then there's the Open. And the Invitational, you have to... Um, uh, win a state championship and then once you win a, you qualify for the to be inside of the the royal and uh, for the invitational and on that competition um i won the pork shoulder by two ten thousandths of a point <laughs> against a guy by the name of johnny trigg who's like the godfather of barbecue i have so much respect for this guy and um but that's how close it was i mean it, it's it's bananas um I still remember that pork butt. It just kind of like jiggled a little bit, you know, just like perfect collagen, you know, yeah. gel. It was like amazing. And um, I knew I hit it. Sometimes it's not like that. But um, uh, oh, where was I? It, it's just nutty. I mean, there's two different um, There's two different things. There's the invitation on the open. The open is like this unruly, like, you know, anyone can enter. Um, but still the top guys, you know, they end up on top. So there is something to be said about it. Yeah. Yeah, so you wouldn't blindly say, hey, you're an amateur, you're barbecue, you're grilling at home, go down there and compete. I would. You would? And then what? But it's all, it all depends on your personality. Yeah. Well, what kind of like tips would you tell an amateur griller? These are the first things you have to look at, aside from the elements of wind and fire and this. Well, well, two things. And I mean, in my book, for example, in the Chart and Script one, you know, I go into techniques. And if there's one thing that you can draw from it, which is really important is layering explosive flavor. And um, what does that mean? Okay, because I'm thinking about it's like layering explosive flavor. Well, like when I was in Japan, I was like looking into grilling and barbecue and, and trying to get some more finesse into it. I mean, they would lacquer, they would dip something in and then let the sauce just kind of reduce on the item and then dip it again and reduce. And so we're just create this incredible tacky um you know surface area that like as opposed to grilling and then putting the barbecue sauce on and then kind of touching it a little bit and browning it yeah, and so like completely enrobing the piece of meat enrobing great word yeah i'm gonna use that if yeah. you don't mind <laughs> thank you chocolate airs yes that one. love yeah. it yeah enrobing yeah it's a great word <laughs> okay yeah i enrobe my barbecue um and uh and you know, it, it's about that. It's just about really just layering flavors, building on. I talk about explosive flavors, particularly in competition, because you've got what I would do in competition wouldn't be 
what I would do in the real world because you'd get sick. It's it's so it's a one bite thing. I mean, these judges are tasting over and over and over again. The biggest thing you have to tap into is is um, that, you know two things: familiar tastes and um, nostalgia. Okay, familiar tastes in the sense that like if I was to build a barbecue sauce, aside from like the ones I might get from Mike, would be like you take you can get like a store bought barbecue sauce and then. You look around and you know, hey, look, I'm, in my barbecue sauce, I add honey. But don't just add the honey that you like. You go to the like, the local Walmart or wherever and you see what type of honey is most on the shelves. So you have to, you have to like, dictate to, custom, to the, the judge's taste. So it becomes less of a, a game of like what's the best and more of a kind of like who's your audience. Yeah, you, you pander know? a little. You, 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 see. you have to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I hate to like, you know demystify it but that's the fact well, it's, it's called a competition for a reason yeah yeah but i mean you find your glory it's like a lot of people say oh i'm the best i'm the grand cha-. and you know anybody who wins a grand champion or even gets a call to the stage deserves a, a yeah. tip to the hat because i always felt like as long as i was in the top 10 then i say okay i'm on point but if i start going outside of the top 10 then i really take a, a strong look at why i missed it yeah because um, on any given day, you know, I think that someone can really win. Well, you know what's fascinating? I don't think I ever thought of a barbecue competition or competitions in general as one bite. You know, uh, oh, yeah, it you is. know when you cook for yourself, when you cook for your family, you're cooking for a meal. You're cooking to, you know... F- e- even to the point of competition of like how you position the things in the box, like yeah. you kind of visualize how... It's like, you know, remember that card trick when you were a kid? Where, you know, you say, oh, pick any card, and you kind of, like, you know, pick that one card, and you're like, you know, ace of spades, you yeah. know? It's the same as in a box. You kind of just, like, maybe I'm hallucinating or I'm <laughs> dreaming, but I really believe in it, and I've won. So so you kind of, like, make individual pieces that you want people to taste to make a little bit more, look a little bit more attractive yeah. in the box. And um, And it's one of those things that, you know, I talk about techniques, I'm I'm really one of the proponents of like something could be as good as I mean it's got to be good period but what makes it special is how much you believe in the technique and so you'll push yourself harder to cook well so I have this this kind of analogy like I was I'm into fishing really into fishing and I, I went to this guy who made these rods and said to him you know He's this old, grumpy guy. I'm like, okay, so which is the best lure to use to catch? And you know, he looked at me, and he's like, the one that you like the most, and the one you'll fish the hardest. And, and you know, at the time, I'm like, damn, you know, <laughs> like I wanted the real answer. Yeah. But he was right. You know, you, you know, on any given day, you know, you can look at a technique, but you really have to believe in it and you have to embrace it. And because fishing it harder or cooking it harder, you know, you'll make the extra casts or you make the extra effort. That's why I'm a big proponent of charcoal and wood cooking because anybody who's going to build a fire is going to tend to fire. Yeah. Well, on that, we're going to take a quick break because I really want to talk about, you know, chard and scruff. That's why we're here. Okay, cool. And your new lexicon about grilling. Excellent. Excellent. You've been listening to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back.
grass-fed beef pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef free-range, sustainably produced humane Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef the authentic flavor of the American West Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Adam Perry Lang. And we're here because he just released, literally today, his new barbecue book, Chard and Scruffed. Um, Thanks Chard for having me. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I mean, <laughs> except for the fact that he didn't bring me barbecue, I'm very excited to have you here. Well, had I known you were hungry, <laughs> I would have. Another time, another yeah. time. But... What the hell is chard and scruffed? I mean, th- these are new words in the barbecue lexicon. Uh, you create new verbiage. You create new techniques progressing barbecue and grilling, which is so damn cool. You know, it, it, the the name itself, and I think it's just the concept, the chard and scruffed, it really just it says, says one of the biggest um, aspects of the book, which is um, just creating this, like, stacked flavor when people think about a lot of grilling for example they're just looking for these grill marks a lot of people not everybody okay and um i say the whole thing should be i mean if you get grill marks they happen by chance but or by accident um but you really want the whole thing to be one big grill mark and the benefit of the perfuming of these like the animization of the flavors dripping into the coals and then atomizing on your shirt and the meat itself yeah so um Charring because I think that particularly when you're talking about, let's say, dry-aged steaks, I think that that contrast to richness needs that that depth of, uh, you know, almost like not near burnt, but you need some of that. It's you the need same some thing of that like people charring. go for pizza and bread and like... Yeah, you know, those, you know, those little burnt kind of bits are almost, if it's done right, it's almost, it's, it's just a depth. I mean, if the whole thing is, then it's yeah. just burnt. Yeah. But, I mean, then the scruffing is really... I just noticed this this thing that would happen because in the in the restaurant you're throwing things on the grill, you know, and sometimes things stick, sometimes they don't. But you know, you just kind of peel it off and you just kind of move on. But I was noticing um, when I was doing it, I was just kind of like creating some tears, and it was it's early on in the cooking process, so it's not not as if it it um, compromises any juiciness from inside, but it increases the surface area of this browning, this Maillard effect, okay? So um, I just really exploited it. And so it's the chard and scruffed is really the cornerstone for um, the technique. And it's almost like a word for you to get some forgiveness for you know not doing the perfect grill marks, which for some reason most of the... In, look at any major corporation, you know, that's doing the grilling. It's like they show the marks, or people like to say who are new to grilling and be like, "Hey, look at the grill marks." Like, to me, it's okay, but let's just talk about flavor. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, scruffing's cool because it sounds, you know, rough and scrappy and all this, yeah. and you're banging this piece of meat around to create those crevices you know, for more it, flavor. It's a great, great way to look at it. Is like 
grandma making a brisket and she's sitting there in the kitchen. She puts it in a pan. The pan's like really not a great pan, like to brown it. She sticks a big fork in it, starts ripping it back and starts like tearing it. You're like, ah, you know, what are you doing? Yeah. Flips it over. It's like the whole house is smoky, you know, breaking every rule in the book. But the damn thing is unbelievable. And it's all those little bits that when you deglaze, that creates the sauce. Not like this clean Teflon nonstick where, and a lot of these flavors are kind of embraced for immersion circulators and all these different you know, techniques, which I think are really interesting and have their place. But for me, it's more, they have their place more for understanding like molecular nature of food because it's a very controlled environment that yeah. you can really understand things. But if that was what cooking was when I was starting, I would have never gone into cooking. Yeah. So, clinching. Clinching. Clinching is this concept of closing the gap. Like a boxer. Like So, um, when I was learning boxing, like if someone with a long reach, you know, you kind of close the gap so then they can't snap you, you know? There's something interesting about coals. It's a term I coined. Um, and it goes something like this. It, the coals themselves are cooler than the coals, than the heat source two to three inches above because of combustion. And when you put the meat directly on the coals, and by the way, it has to be lump charcoal, can't be briquettes, because briquettes, as they cook, it's kind of like the ash on a cigarette, okay? It just leaves behind a residue, okay? That's why when I do this um, clinching, I use a hairdryer or a fan, yeah. like a hand fan, to take off the ash. And then you put the, the meat directly on it, which I call dirty cooking. Um, and it's not gritty. It's not sticky at all. And what happens is, is that it's almost like connects with the meat and the heat kind of just travels right through it. And um, uh, it doesn't get excessively brown, but it's, it's intense, like searing around the and so it perfumes it really nicely and it's cool to look at and it's something yeah. different to do so it's not the answer but it's a way yeah so as we kind of like get into it and we want to try new different things you know this is a really cool technique there's a clean method which i do which is where you take the coals and you flatten them out like you would cook right on the you blow them with the hairdryer and you put a grill grate on top of it directly on top of it and then you put the steaks on and then this way because Coals will actually stick. You'll see some of the pictures in the book. Coals will stick, but you have to knock them off with your herb brush. And you're managing eight to ten steaks. It's easier to do it off of a screen or a grill grate than it would. Uh, they have these great grill screens at Corin Trading, which I pick up. They're like these oh, little yeah. squares, and you just kind of throw them on the charcoal. And, you, you know, you can operate like that as opposed to really having to get, like, another grill grate yeah. from a box. Well, so. you break another rule with hot potatoing. You know, hot people always say... Cool. Leave it on one side and let it cook, you know, so many percent through. That, it's interesting, hot potato technique, and it's another cornerstone of chard and scruff, is, is this tempering. It's, it's, I call my technique um, active grilling. Like, I can't, I like to keep flipping. Like, just to put it on the grill and walk away and drink a beer, it's like, you know. But the concept of leaving it, don't moving it, it does make sense if you have a grill that... Um, that doesn't have really good recovery. And don't get me wrong, I've had great steaks from people who just don't move it. But my personality and grilling, I need to move it around. And the hot potato technique, it makes sense. Because when you're grilling one side, 
you know, heat is like a freight train. And it's, it's building, 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 and then you flip it, and then it slows down. And the minute you flip it, you baste it, and you kind of like almost, you bring the temperature down by basting it so you don't dry out the crust. And then it's building, building, and then you flip it. So, you know, you go from heat, you know, like hot potato, you go from one hand to the next till eventually you read your, reach the temperature you want. In the case of, let's say, a ribeye, for me, I like to reach, let's say, 115, and then let it chill, like relax. Yeah. And well, you talk about heat. You talk about heat retention too. There, there are obviously certain barbecues that do better than others. I want to get right to it. The big green egg. Yeah. I've been eyeing this thing. I see it in the corner of a lot of photos and you know the cookbook. What is it, and why should I get it? You know, it's interesting. But I'm going to say this to you. And that's this is why I have like 19 grills. <laughs> you know, it's like you know which knife do you get in your shell? You know, it's part of a whole repertoire. So what you might gain, like the the big green head to me is like the Swiss Army knife of barbecues. Okay, it does a lot of tasks really, really well. But the downside is it doesn't have much surface area for cooking, so you don't have a large surface area. But it's probably one of the most macked out grills out there in terms of um, it has like a half moon cast iron pan, which people you know write to me, hey, where did you get that? And I saw that in the book, or um, they have. Um, you know extension racks similar to how i do the high low technique yeah you can like when you open the lid you can close the bottom damper quickly to prevent oxygen rushing in and and the flames to kind of come up so it's an amazing and the the last thing which is most important for choosing a barbecue is the insulation it's got it's like it's like a cast iron pan it once it heat heats up it holds on to the heat so in any weather condition you're insulated, so you can cook in a, a snowstorm, <laughs> and it's the key to good barbecue, and it's low and slow style, is consistency and temperature, and it does that very, very well. Yeah. Do you, do you find yourself using that one most often, or do you have your favorite little old Weber, Smokey Joe, in the corner? Well, you're gonna ha- I can't choose between children. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it literally, I mean... It's, it's a lot of children, 19 It's a lot grills. of children, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming you have a big backyard, or you rent some backyard. No, it, it, it's them. horrible because they're all right now. Or they're in storage, and they're just lonely. Yeah, you know, I've been traveling so much, and I've just been just been cooking on friends' grill or grills or in the restaurant. And I mean, I still get my fix, but you yeah. know, my grills itself. Like I have a group of grills when you know, still in Iowa. I have a group of grills that are still in in Alabama. And like I said, this barbecue community, which is the greatest. Um, if I had a competition down south and my friends are typically going to be there, I can ask them and they'll just bring my grills. And in the meantime, they can use use them. But you know, yeah, you know. Well, you talk about this great community, um, but aside from just the states and the south, uh, you have Barbacoa, which you opened up. That's unbelievable. With a, and it's a butcher shop too, which, yeah. which is fantastic. I source from five abattoirs, three from within Ireland. One in uh, Scotland, Salkos, Scotland, and one in um, uh, Yorkshire. Yeah, so that's in London with yeah. Jamie Oliver. Yeah. Was there a barbecue? Was there a grilling culture there? I mean, what, what is it? Because you talk about all these Japanese influences, too. What is it around the world? What does grilling and what does barbecue mean to everybody? Well, I think, you know, meat and fire has a, a, a tremendous relationship as it relates to who we are. And it, it, it moves us in a way that I couldn't be possibly the one to put it into words other than just come join me and 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 let's experience it together but 
each place has different romance with Grill, and each place typically says that theirs is the best. Britain has a bit of a barbecue complex, so I'm not going to say <laughs> them. But you know, you talk about South um, South America, you're talking about down in South Africa. Um, the Japanese will just be too humble to kind of just proclaim it, but they'll, you can just see their snicker and they know they're the best. Yeah. <laughs> or you can go in the South um, or, or Australia, and each place kind of has an intense idea of what it means. And that's, I think, one of the beauties of barbecue. But specific to um, Great Britain in general, um, when we got there, it really wasn't kicking, kicking up. There really wasn't too much going on. And um, it's kind of like having never tasted chocolate before and giving it to a kid, you know. They're not going to be, like, spitting it out. Yeah. It's not sure so they just yet. took yeah. to it. And now we have great barbecue restaurants opening up, like Pit Q. It's, like, fantastic. And it's very Daisy May-ish, too. Um, and they started off with a truck. And they just, they just grew into this. Great, and I love visiting them, too. Yeah. But... Um, uh, barbacoa, it was like, let's buy every piece of grilling and barbecue equipment. Let's get wood-burning tandoors and, um, and robotic grills and Argentine grills and, and wood-burning ovens. And let's just get it, everything, and then let's figure it out. And it was a huge success. Yeah. So you talk about all these different tools, but let's get to the core of charcoal wood. I Love mean, it. What do you use? What, what do you suggest other people to use? Um, I use it all, um, but I, let me clarify that because I think that it's an important question. It depends on what you, you want out of it. Good old briquettes, like um, Kingsford briquettes, or, um, which I like, and I've, I've won competitions with, uh, with wood chunks because like, wood chunks are perfect, like small pieces. You can season them well. You know, a lot of the humidity goes out of them. One of my greatest combinations that I do really well with um, when I competed was um, just briquettes. I don't care. If I had briquettes or lump charcoal, it doesn't make a difference. I mean, I'd even use lighter fluid on it until it burns off. I- I'm not a big... It doesn't. Once that stuff burns off... The key thing is, look, let me just say this right yeah. now, because I'm going to say this about lighter fluid, because everybody's so snobby about <laughs> it. And it just pisses me off, because the key thing is, like, I don't need lighter fluid. Okay, I'll use a chimney, but let's just look at it like if you have to use it. Look, if I'm gonna, I'll address anything with you, but if you have to use lighter fluid, just take the grill grate off so none of the like distillates will like just lay on the grill because that's when the flavor comes through. If you put lighter fluid on charcoal and let it burn off, there's no way, unless it's impregnated. I don't go for the match light stuff, but. Unless it's impregnated, it's burning off. You get your fire going. Have a nice day. How often do you go to friends' houses and taste lighter fluid? Um, not too often. Yeah, because you reprimanded them enough. Oh, I don't <laughs> reprimand them. You know, I'm really easy about barbecue. And, um, uh, I, you know, if they do it, I, I'm like, I get almost excited because what better thing is it in the world to share a revelation so that they can, you know, improve what they're doing? And I look for these things also for myself. So, yeah. You know, what have been other really cool revelations in reading the book are the sizes of pieces of meat you put on the grill. Legs this is of the lamb. cornerstone. I am obsessed. I'm obsessed with this, this steak that I call the, um, the two steaks, but I'll talk about one is the rib roast cooked like a steak. Yeah, that thing is immense looking. But I love it because both that, leg of lamb, even Chateaubriand, these big pieces of meat which are not traditionally done you know, on grills, 
look fantastically done on they, girls. They they look fantastic, but not only that, if you think about it, um, in the most practical sense, you can do one thing for many. And what's more social than that? And then what's also so, such a talking point? If you can get the biggest steak possible and cook it, I'm telling you, it enhances the experience. Yeah. People love Flintstonian <laughs> cuts. I don't know if it's a generational thing, but the bigger the steak, the better. Yeah. What's the biggest piece of meat you put on a grill? God, you know, this rib roast that cooks like a steak, it's practically a four-bone rib roast. And I just knock off two of the bones, take the cap off, leave the decal on. Yeah. And then I split the bones with a knife, and I just beat the hell out of it with a bat. Yeah. And it goes flat. It goes from like seven or eight inches maybe more and then it gets beaten down to two and a half inches and just the bat kind of hitting into it and pulling off like i do with this recipe it it tears the meat and creating the surface area and you should have seen the faces on my butchers when when they saw me doing this they're like what are you doing i said well you're making veal scallopini why can't i do it with this yeah so the ultimate judge of it is like i brought it down after i did it like ah i'm like got it there it is yeah it's it's like grill therapy too it is. You get to pound away at that meat. and It is. Yeah. I, but I've also found like a lot of butchers in general. I mean, I don't get it. You know, um, look, don't get me wrong. Some of them give great cooking advice. But I've had some butchers like sitting there like, yeah, yeah, you know, six minutes per pound or, you know, 12 minutes per pound. I'm like, have you done this before? You know, or they'll come in. At, like, I'm, I'll come in. I'm like, hey, you know what? Look, I, I'd like, a, you know, a six pound rib roast. Butcher will come to me and say, "How many people are you feeding?" I'm like, "Forget how many people I'm feeding. I want a six pound one, yeah, one four hundred pounder you know, and two wayfish nine pounders." But yeah. but this is the dialogue I had. I I don't mean this like me against the butcher. Yeah. It's the opposite. It like opens up the dialogue a lot. The way that my book does is that you know some of these techniques. I mean you know cowboys have cooked in charcoal, yeah. so didn't invent it. But I'll tell you what. I've made it and formatted it in a way and also put my touches on it so that it wouldn't be gritty. So I'm sure that their steak might have been gritty, but this one isn't. Yeah. But with the butchers, um, they're quick to kind of... I'm making a gross generalization. So <laughs> my butchers, <laughs> quick to kind of give the advice and not really follow it through. Like one guy, for example, um, he's like, oh, you know, margarita um, chicken pie art. I'm like, what the hell is that? He's like... Yeah, you know, you season it with salt, and you throw it on the grill, and you throw a margarita, splash <laughs> it on there, you flip it. And I was like, wow, it sounds cool. You know, you got the lemon. Yeah. You got the sugar. It sounds good. And I did it, and I brought it down. I'm like, that was the worst waste of a margarita I've ever... <laughs> are you kidding me? You're telling people to make it this way. So. Yeah. But um, it's... When we brought the steak back down, um, winner, thumbs up. Yeah. That, that I'm just... I want to do on every demo because I think it's the coolest thing to do. And it's so satisfying to beat the hell out of a piece of meat. So I think the biggest thing people screw up aside from lighter fluid is doneness. Mm. You know, you, you have a whole bunch of utensils that you use in the book, you know, like a thermometers. The best thing yeah. you could ever invest in is an instant read thermometer. Not, not a surface temp gun. And surface temp gun only read the temperature yeah. of the surface. And those are fantastic for pizza ovens. Yeah. Those are fantastic if you want to like see your grill surface temperature, but who cares at the yeah. end of the day? You can have your hand for that. You need to stick that, that thing like hot, in the meat. kind of hot, yeah. or not that hot. But when you're dealing with thicker cuts in particular, it can be a little bit tricky. So that is, if you have a um, instant read thermometer, you know, 
you can't mess it up. Yeah. You can't. But I encourage people because you don't always. It's like you learn how to beat egg whites without a machine. So one day if the machine breaks, you know how to do it. Yeah. Just do this. Put the thermometer in. And every time you put it in and it's where you want it to be, just kind of like poke it with your finger and get familiar with that resistance. Yeah. So this way, one day, you know, you're at your friend's house and like now you're known for your steak. He doesn't have an instant read thermometer unless you're a geek like me and you carry one around with you. Now, <laughs> um, you get used to it. You know, yeah. Now I can feel it. But even still with roasts, you know, it's always good to have your thermometer as your friend. Yeah. Big fan of it. What other friends should you have along with you? What's what, are, what are the um, utensils? God. Uh, well, I mean, the herb brush. The herb brush is a great one, a yeah. great knife and great tongs, and, and that's it. But, you know, herb brush is, is just one of these things that I don't care. I, you know, people say, ah, you might explain. I say, if, if there's one thing that I will tell people to do and use is this herb brush. Wooden spoon, butcher's twine, bundle of savory herbs. It could be just rosemary. It could be thyme. Give it to your kid. Let them do some arts and crafts. You put know, that thing together for you. I mean, talk about sustainability yeah. here. You know, you, can, you, you use it. It flavors the meat. It scents the meat. You chop a little, a little bit of it in the board dressing, which we can talk about after. And... At the end of the day, you can throw in the compost pile, you know? Yeah. Um, well, you use that spoon to stir up some or sides just, or, or something. just put it into, uh, you know, just... I haven't done that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I You're like flavoring that. the wood already. Yeah, you could. Yeah. So, um, that's, one of, that's one of those things which, which I just get a kick out of showing. Yeah. You know? So, I'm sure there were a couple techniques that you attempted but didn't make into this book uh what are things that you're working on right now trying to progress grilling and barbecue um making my own charcoal um getting in just to um really understanding um seasoned wood and really under like just kind of getting the behind the scenes on it i'm dying to uh i'm planning on a trip to but i don't know when the hell i'm gonna do it but i, I really want to take a trip to japan and Yes. And, and mesh myself with some of the charcoal making process. I've just been really into craft lately. Yeah. Um, uh, woodworking, things along those lines. I don't know exactly where it's going to lead to exactly, but it makes me a better barbecue chef. Yeah. Because you can't only just focus on the cooking. If you kind of work in its periphery, you know, that's how you really learn things. So eventually making your own grill? Um, yeah, I'm learning arc welding. So um, it's, and it's not to like say hey i want to make it to sell it it's it has more to do with you know three o'clock in the morning you know you have that vision you know and then you want to just do it as opposed to going to your fab guy and waiting three days i don't have the patience yeah yeah so i'm learning welding and and working with metals and things just to kind of play around with it and and for me that you know just to like look at these it's like how i approach barbecue i was i was really approached it very green and it was just the attitude of just saying, oh, let's let's screw it up, you know, let's just kind of mess it, mess with it and play with it and make mistakes, but keep moving. You know, the key thing, you make a mistake, move on. That's less with life, you know, so you just kind of keep hammering, keep moving, learn from it, understand the whys. Don't just do it. Yeah, well... People are going to do it. People are going to pick up this book, and I'm sure well, they're going to get charred and screw up. Yeah. We should grill together, though. we got I, some things I to do. I have no problem. Grilling, fishing, Japan. I'm with you all yeah, the way, man. man. Fly fishing. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for being on. No, this is the greatest. I and, love it. And uh, if you haven't gotten or pre-ordered Charred and Scruff yet, it's out today. Get it and get Thanks, with brother. it. <laughs> thank you so much, Adam. Thank You've been you. listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers.
Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes iTunes. by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.